We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's time to get green. Doug Oster and Jessica Walliser are in the house. All natural, no pesticides, no artificial ingredients. The Organic Gardeners. Is Radio 1020 KDK. The Organic Gardeners on the air. We'd love to hear from you at 866-391-1020. Dollar Bank Instant Access, KDK.com. And the best way to uh, really join us now is to be one of the first uh, callers, folks, that reaches number 10 at 412-922-1020. Because you can take home a $25 gift certificate from Sorgles right now. And speaking of right now, here they are, Doug Oster and Jessica Wallace, your host from TribLive.com. Good morning, guys. Good morning. I am Doug Oster from the Tribune Review and EverybodyGardens.com. And I'm horticulturist Jessica Walliser. And I'm so glad that uh, Miles from Davy Tree is going to be in here today, Jess, talking about insects and diseases because they have found oak wilt in my forest. <gasps> yes. Oh, no. Yep, yep. The guys from Davy came and uh, I, I knew it when I saw it and they came to confirm it. And so we're figuring out what to do. We'll talk about what you saw so that uh, well, listeners can... Uh, Look for it. All the leaves were falling off an oak tree okay. <laughs> in the middle of the summer. Right. And they're but that kind... can be heat stress, too. Yeah, I mean, and they're kind of like a brownish and green. Ooh. That's all. That's yeah. all I saw. And then some black spotting on the leaves, too. And, uh, yeah, they took the leaves back. And then Ron Hegner came mm-hmm. out to take a look at it and didn't even barely have to walk up the driveway and knew that it was oak wilt. So they sure. didn't have to take like a tissue sample or anything like that. But well, I think that technic- technically that, yeah, that yeah. did get done. But uh, yeah, he just knew from looking at it that, that this was the, the problem. And uh, oak wilt is fatal to oak trees. Red oaks, which my forest is filled with, mm. are the most susceptible. And now the question is what to do. Right. How many of those trees do you treat with some kind of injection program, which I don't really know what it is, some kind of fungicide? I was thinking that on the one half of it where I think I can stop it from trenching, i using a Mm -hmm. 24-inch deep trench because it it spreads through the roots that I could forest that part, but uh, Allegheny County does not allow that. What do yeah, you mean? I don't know. Uh, like the guys from Davy were telling me, like, well, we got a guy from Butler that would would forest it and this and that. He said, no, not in Allegheny County. What do you mean you by forest that. it? Uh, have a lumber guy come in. Oh, I, I see. Okay, harvest so take the trees the wood out. and okay. pay me for them got instead you. of me paying the whatever it is per tree to have them taken to out. Take down, or do you let them fall and then it? Per, I don't know what you do. That's a, that's a, yeah, this is one of the things. So we have and, a lot, you know, and, yeah. you know, oak wilt's been actually around for a long time mm-hmm. and it's happened in the forests for, but it's just become virulent. And so we're thinking it over and yeah. figuring out what we're going to do. And, and it spreads so, and you use the word virulent, I mean, that's it, right? It spreads as the tree roots grow and they meet each other. So one oak roots meets another oak root under the ground. They sort of join or fuse, graft together. And that's how the pathogen moves from one tree to the next. So that trenching can stop that, but that's a big, giant process. Boy, well, oh the boy. trenching part is no big deal. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, okay. they just... How wide does the trench have to be? I don't know how wide it has to be. I know how deep it has to be, 24 okay. to 36. But you just 
you know, either yeah. rent a trencher or hire a guy with a trencher. And on one side of the drive, you know, the, this is separated by a driveway, but he thinks that it's already underneath. He thinks, wow. you know, so we'll, so is, we'll see. This is going to be a forest changer, just like the chestnut blight was way long ago, the emerald ash borer recently, and now the oak wilt. And it's a it's a big conundrum that we're in with so many of our trees. Oh, and I got hemlock woolly adalgia too, pretty bad. Oh, lucky <laughs> that, you! So that yeah, one so... at least that one I've been able to treat. That one I've been working on with the uh, horticultural oil, and I've really ma- actually made a lot of progress with that That's one. That's good. Well, when Miles comes in in the second half of the show, we're going to talk to him about some other uh, insect and diseases that are with our trees here in Western Pennsylvania that you should be on the lookout for this season. I certainly know bagworms are another issue that are, pe- are cropping up this time of year as well. So lots to talk about with him. Yeah, and a lot of folks want to talk to these two. We have one line available if you feel the need, 866-391-1020, dollar bank, instant access, kdka.com. And congratulations to John, winner of that $25 gift certificate from Sorgles. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green, the organic gardeners. This Radio 1020, KDKA. Welcome back. I've got a couple different places that I'm going to be coming up this week. Thursday, I will be at the Laurel Highlands Senior Lifestyle Show from 11 to 3 p.m. I'll be speaking at 12 noon and then answering garden questions. That is at the Donegal Community Center, and I've got lots of free seeds to give away. And then this coming Saturday at 11 a.m., I'll be at Osterling's Lawn and Garden Center in Butler, Talking about summer garden maintenance, come out and see me in one of those two places. It would make sense that you would be at Osterling's. Yeah, isn't that right? funny? It's Rick and McKee's Rocks for Doug and Jess. Good morning, Rick. Uh, yes, I have a question for you with the uh, tomato blight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had it pretty bad, and I was treating it with copper, and it didn't seem to help. Well, last Saturday, I switched to Serenade, and I sprayed three of my tomato plants, and then it looked like it was going to rain, so I figured I'd quit and do it the next day. Well, the next day, the three that I sprayed, they were all wilted. I thought, oh, geez, but none of the other ones were. So uh, during the week, I talked to a buddy of mine. He said that happened one time with him, but they all came back. They Mm -hmm. started coming back, and then later this week, yesterday, they're all real wilted. They look like they're ready to die, and it seems to spread to the other tomato plants, which I didn't even spray with serenade. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you know what that could be? Yeah, or? so the three that you sprayed with Serenade, do they already have a case of blight that was a little more um, intense? No, okay. No, no, more than, no, no more than the others. Okay, and so you're obviously talking about early blight, which is the one that starts on the lower leaves and works its on way the lower, up. Correct. Okay, okay. So um, sometimes we can have what's called uh, phytotoxicity, which is... It's particular with fungicides, although some other products can cause it as well, where application when the temperature is wrong or the sun is too strong or the plant is stressed by drought or uh, by some other environmental condition, by insects, by disease, and you spray a product on that plant and they can have an adverse reaction to it, just like a person might have an adverse reaction to a particular medicine that you gave them. Plants can have this phytotoxicity too. It can cause uh, temporary wilting. It can cause defoliation. Um, I suspect that might have been what happened. It is not a common occurrence with serenade. Yeah, I've never heard of that, never right. seen that. But if your plants were stressed out by some other factor, wh- yeah, whether... The, the fact that the, some other plants that weren't treated with the serenade right. are, you know, showing the signs of this, that's... Uh... 
It's weird, though. Right, exactly. And all this rain that we keep even, getting doesn't help you. I don't help know you. what to do. Right, right. What should I do? I, I haven't sprayed nothing since. Right. Well, I wouldn't give up on them, certainly, um, by any means. And uh, I would simply stay the course. Keep, keep an eye on them. Yep, keep maintaining them. Remove any diseased foliage very carefully and dispose of it in the garbage. Um, that's usually what I do. Yep, yeah. that's good. That's your best line of defense. And always, even with Serenade, keep in mind that it's not going to eliminate an established infection, but it will help keep it from spreading So, and prevent new infections. So that's the thing. I would just stay the course. I think you just had a little temporary glitch there, and I think everything will wind up fine. And keep us posted on what's going on, too. We'd like to know how, how they do. Let's go to Kay in the North Hills. Hey, Kay. Good morning. I have um, Brandywine tomatoes. They're lovely plants. They're not uh, lank, uh, you know, real tall or anything. They're as tall as my tomato baskets. They look very stocky, and they're nice plants, and I have no blooms. Do you know what's going on? What, what, when you look at the plant, is it real dark green and going crazy, or is it the normal no. color? No, it's normal, and it's not. It's not going crazy. It's, it's you know, a nice plant. Should have but blossoms on it by now. Yeah, I mean, brandy wines. They're, they're they're really late plants, but should have blossoms by now. I have volunteer plants that I planted against the fence. I'm tying them up. They're probably going to be little cherry tomatoes. Mm-hmm. They have blooms on, and they have little tomatoes on. Yeah, I mean, brandy wines are sort of um, <laughs> one of the reasons a lot of people don't like to plant those big, late heirloom tomatoes is because they take forever to set fruit and for that fruit to grow big enough and to ripen. But by now, they definitely and should so- have flowers. Sometimes they put on flowers, and when we have that hot spell, they'll, they'll just drop them. That, that, happens, yeah. that happens, too. But here's another case I wouldn't give up on the plant. We still have plenty of gardening season yeah. left. Um, I would just carefully watch it. Maybe, uh, you know, definitely don't fertilize with any more nitrogen. But you no. could do a fertilizer with a little higher number of phosphorus, which would maybe help generate some new blooms. Okay. Okay? Good luck. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, let's go to Gracie in Fayette City. Hey, Gracie, good morning. Good morning. I have two tomato-related questions. The first one is I received my 3945 seeds, and I would like to store them for next year. What would be the best way to store them? And the second question is my potato-topped tomato plants are doing wonderfully. They have lots of tomatoes on them, but just before the tomatoes start to ripen out, they get this black spot that rots out on the bottom. All right, let's start off with the 3945 tomato. Uh, The 3945 tomato is one that I've been giving away. It was found on the battlefield during World War II. And so whenever we're storing seeds, we have to remember that they're living organisms. So we want them, first off, to be dry. Uh, Dry and cool would be better, and then dry, cool, and dark would be wonderful. (laughs) And so the way I store them is I I put them in a mason jar. Uh, In the mason jar, I put the stuff in there called silica gel, which keeps everything dry and absorbs any extra moisture. And then I just put that down in the basement. That's how I store mine. But you don't want that, you don't want that seed to, to, be, uh, to react to the humidity in the air. You, you, just, you want it in a controlled uh, place. So, and then I don't like to put them in the fridge. I think it's too cold for them. And so I think they'll be fine if you just put them in a mason jar with a little silica gel. And you can get a packet or even a little bit at a craft store. When I did it, I had a ton of mason jars. And so I got the uh, a big thing from the craft store of silica gel and just put it in the bottom. And that just keeps them dry. 
And uh, what you're experiencing with the uh, potato top tomato is called blossom end rot. And so uh, that's that's a calcium deficiency. But usually the calcium's in the ground. It's just that the plant can't uptake it if uh, yeah if we don't have enough rain. <laughs> I'm wondering, are you growing the the those in a container? By chance? Yes. Yeah, that's uh, okay. fine. Okay, that's, that's Yeah, problem. so you're not watering your containers uh, consistently and evenly. So if you have periods of dry uh, where your plants go through, they can't uptake the calcium in the soil, and therefore they end up with that blossom end rot. So you need to do a better job watering those containers deeply w- and thoroughly. I water them every day. Yeah, but do you go out there and splash and dash where you're just getting them a little bit wet and you're walking away? Like you got to really... No, they're usually getting about a gallon of water. Oh, that, mm. if you're having a full-size brandywine tomato, they need about three yeah. to four gallons, and I'd rather have you do that about three times a week. Um, or if it's super hot, then do it every day. But you need to let that water flush through the pot. The good news is that uh, usually it's early tomatoes that get the blossom end rot. And when we catch it and be sure that that uh, soil uh, stays evenly moist, you'll be okay as as the next tomatoes that come along and the next tomatoes that are on there. So that's the important thing is just is keeping that... I know you're you're giving it the water you think it needs, but it obviously needs more water. It's telling you that by showing you in the tomatoes the blossom end rot. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, thank you. Let's go to Dan in McCandless. Hey, Dan. Hey, gentlemen, ladies. Uh, I have the same problem. I put uh, five-gallon buckets. I started Marzano uh, plum tomatoes, and... Uh, what I'm doing, I'm getting that black rot, but on the bottom stem, where it's touching the soil, about three inches up, there's barnacles, you know? And it's like a yellow, yep. like a yellow, yep. puffy look, right. Yep. So first off, plum tomatoes in containers, that's the perfect storm for yes. blossom and rot. Plum, <laughs> plum tomatoes are susceptible, more susceptible than most other tomatoes. A five-gallon bucket... You know, that's, a, that's what we say is the bare minimum as, for soil. Same thing with that. You know, you really have to soak them and keep that soil evenly moist. But the barnacles... <laughs> are not barnacles at all. They're, what are, they're adventitious root nodes. So close to the base of a tomato, a lot of times they will, because they're so close to the soil, they'll, they'll feel like they have to develop an, some extra roots off of those. And those are called adventitious roots. And so sometimes you'll get those little bumps and nodes around the base of the plant. They're absolutely nothing, nothing to worry about. They make it look a little gnarly, but they're nothing to worry about at all. Okay, yeah, I know I have to water them a lot. I can't believe how much water they take. Yes. Yeah. In a five-gallon, and a lot of times people think when it rains out that that means their wa- their containers got watered, but it didn't right. because a lot of times it bounces off the foliage and rolls off. So you have to get out there even when it rains with your hose and water. And those five-gallon buckets for a container that small, you will be have to be watering every day when it's hot. Yeah, out. and especially when those roots really get going, they're yep. going to eat up that water quick. Hey, thanks a lot, Thank guys. you. Have a great day. You too. All right, what are you two doing in the uh, trib of late? Jess, you begin. Writing about all kinds of good stuff with gardening, of course. Yeah, increasing the yields in your vegetable garden, succession planting, which means all those crops that go in now. Uh, and also, I just recently had an article about tomatoes. So today, tomatoes seem to be the hot topic yeah. always this time of year. So it was just sort of some tips for maximizing your harvest. And I was writing about the pollinator garden at the zoo, oh, cool. which is a very amazing garden, and uh, about Peggy M. Montgomery's American Beauties Native Plants, which are also great for pollinators and they have a really cool uh butterfly 
we actually we can't call it butterfly weed anymore. Okay. We have to change the name to butterfly flower. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> so that people will 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 right. grow it. Butterfly weed is this great uh, perennial with these orange flowers that brings in lots of pollinators. She has one called uh, Hello Yellow, oh, which yeah. instead of the orange, you know, you always want something a little bit different. Yep. You know, I was actually out in the woods for a couple of days and I saw lots of butterfly flower out in the field, but a yellow one would be kind of cool. Would be very cool. All right, Doug, tell them what you got coming up. Well, I'll be speaking this week. On Thursday, I'm going to be out at the Donegal Community Center at the Laurel Highlands Senior Lifestyle Show from 11 to 3 p.m., speaking at 12 noon for 15 minutes. I'll be doing my 10 greatest garden tips in 15 minutes. All right, so you got a minute and a half for each tip. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. And then answering your gardening gardening questions. It's Thursday, 11 to 3, Donegal Community Center, and I have lots of free seeds to give away there. Then on Saturday at 11 o'clock, I'll be at Osterling's Lawn and Garden Center in Butler. Be there for a couple hours, too, talking about summer garden maintenance. Come on out and see me. We'll have a lot of fun. I'll be appearing in my garage this afternoon if anybody <laughs> wants to stop by. Are you going to have, like, the big fry daddy out there making up some fried shrimp or something? No, 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 no. no. Oh, I, okay. I can't afford either. All right. It's, it's, it's uh, hot dogs. <laughs> there you go. All right. Listen, 866-391-1020, Bank, Instant Access, KDK.com. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners. This is Radio 1020 KDKA. Hey, let's start off this half hour by taking the 10th caller to win an incredible $25 gift certificate from Janoski's. Coming off their successful wine festival yesterday, it is 412-922-1020. And now it's time for Talking Trees, a service of the Davy Tree Expert Company. We're joined by Miles Stevens from Davy Tree, and if you have any garden or uh, tree questions, uh, give us a call eight six six three nine one ten twenty. Well, Miles, let's talk uh, insects to start with. We're going to talk insects and diseases today, and of course, always before we come on the air, we're picking your brain about what's going on. So, what are you seeing out there? Well, I were talking there before, you know, some like bagworms uh, on like Arbor Friday and those type of things. So, you know, there's a lot of hemlock, hemlock woolly adelgid. So let's, for both of those, what do we do? What do you guys do? Well, at this point with bagworms, some of them are so mature, uh, you know, trying to do some sort of insect treatment is not going to be real practical. Uh, small enough plant, uh, old-fashioned way, go pick them off the plant. You know, that's uh, what you're going to have to do there. And I've got the, plenty of hemlock woolly adelgid. Right, so with those uh, right now, you you know, um, uh, you could uh, do a foliar spray, but you know, might incline more towards the fall. Do a horticultural oil uh, treatment on that, and otherwise, do you know some cultural things to try to help out the hemlocks, you know, and just uh, clean up prune broken branches, maybe even water and fertilize later on. Just try to make them healthier. Uh, fortunately, I think with hemlock really adelgid, catch it early on. It can be turned around, and yeah. if you just sort of keep the plant healthier, it's going to do a lot better for you. And you had mentioned a surprise pest that you've been seeing a lot of on willows, which are usually a pretty pest-resistant plant. Yeah, seeing mites, which is, you know, unusual. I've, I've never seen mites on willows before. So what would so, people look for if they have a willow and they're concerned about it? If you look at the foliage and if, you know, instead of being like a solid green color, you see like stippling, it looks like little, you know, light dots all the way through and starting at the base of the leaf, then it moves on out and you see it's sort of, almost sort of a speckled look. Mm-hmm to it and to see them uh you could tap you take a white piece of paper and tap the branch leaf over that and you'll see dots running around because they're the, super super tiny so, super tiny yeah. if you have hand lens they have a magnifying glass they want to have some fun go take a look at them <laughs> but you can find them that way too but that's i've seen that on several properties and that was sort of 
unusual. But yeah. It's been an unusual weather year, so who knows what. Yeah, and that leads to unusual pest and disease right. problems as well. So in the first segment, Doug and I were talking about oak wilt and how he has recently found that on his property. And you're seeing a lot of that out in the field, too. But then you also mentioned uh, one that hasn't cropped up too often for us lately, which is Dutch elm disease. But you're seeing that this year right. as well. Right. And typically, we start seeing that in, in June when the first time we get some really hot, dry weather no, it hasn't been dry late, but the first time it gets really hot is what happens with Dutch elm disease. As it progresses, it blocks the tree's ability to move fluids back and forth. And long you of cool, wet conditions, a lot of time you don't see it. As soon as it gets hot and dry, all of a sudden you'll see you know, branches dying out. And not widespread yet, you know, and there are not as many elms there used to be, but I have been seeing that the last month. So it'll be sort of like one branch will start to die back right. and wilt, and then maybe it'll spread to another branch. So if you're seeing that, Definitely give Davy a call. Yeah, it's like because what happens is the death occurs so rapidly, the tree can't, you know, the leaves can't go through normal leaf obsession. So they sort of hang on the tree and they droop down and hang there and turn brown. You know, okay. they don't, they, they'll, they'll drop eventually, but initially it is wilt and hang there on there. So, how much oak wilt are you seeing out there? Uh, see it out there. It, it, you know, scattered. You know, certain areas you'll see a lot. Other areas you won't. But we are seeing we are seeing oak wilt out there. Um, you know, people. You know, so it looks like fall. My trees dropping leaves all over the place. You go out there, and you'll see a lot of leaf drop. And I always say, it reminds me like uh, you look at a leaf. It looks like somebody like um, it got burned with acid. Half of it will be like brown. Then it'll be this. You'll see this marginal area where it's sort of somewhere in between. It'll be green. But the main thing is it starts. You know, symptom people are going to probably going to see it's like abnormally large amount of leaf drop yeah. at that point in time. And we were talking um, during the break about uh, the companies coming through right now pruning, um, and they're they're saying it's okay to prune oaks now, and they're pruning the electric lines and things like that. If somebody comes and says, hey, can we do some tree pruning, and you have oaks on your property, you, a little alarm bell should go off on your head. That person doesn't know what they're talking about, right? They absolutely should not be pruning oaks right now. This is uh, prime time for... Uh, uh, oak wilt disease. Another thing you have to worry about too. You know, these folks come through, and uh, you know, even if they've been removing some dead uh, oaks that uh, may have been dying oak wilt, hopefully, it makes sure they've sanitized their tools before they come out. You know, later on in the season, and do some pruning for you. Any oaks, you know, tool sanitation is important. But somebody comes around and says, "Don't, don't worry about it. We don't have a problem with oak wilt around here." Well, they're they're wrong. I'm not going to say it's widespread in every home and every neighborhood, but it's out there, and you should absolutely not be pruning oaks right now under, so if, under it, circumstances. If you have four acres of red oaks, what do you do when you get oak wilt? Yeah, uh, get rid of the the <laughs> diseased trees. It's sort of a toughie uh, there because uh, you end up with uh, you end up with some root grafting. You know, so if you have an area that you're seeing a lot of it, you may try to isolate that area. And you can do some trenching. You also can do some, uh, there are trunk-injected uh, fungicides you can use. Uh, the recommendation is there is to, to the trees on the perimeter that are not infected would be to treat those with the fungicide and then do the trenching. If you do the oh, trenching yeah. first, because what happens, you had that root grafting, the roots get cut. Whatever's well, sort of been grafted in there, the tree sort of sucks it up. Well, if the oak wilt is there, it's going to take that up. So you want to do the fungicide first, then do the trenching. Interesting. So. See, that's why we rely on these great arborists at Davy Tree, because they know all those smart little <laughs> tips and tricks like that, right? What is the uh, prognosis if you had a big forest with red oak like that? Uh, <laughs> asking uh, just for a friend, right? You're just asking for a friend. You well, know, am I going to lose all my red oaks eventually? Not necessarily. I mean, you'll see an area come in, you'll have oak wilt, and then, 
you know, it, it, I don't say it just sort of stops, but it sort of slows down, doesn't develop anymore. Went to a, a discussion, you know, years ago, actually, the city uh, city parks uh, had a thing, and they brought in a couple uh, folks that had done a lot of research, and one was a professor from WVU, that was here especially, it was Oakville. Interesting thing with Oakville is that um, it's always there, but it's basically the same acreage every year that is infected or dies. It it isn't good. It doesn't go from 100 acres to 500 to mm. 10,000. It's like it's always there, but it's the same amount of area like every year. So it's just something that's always present. And for whatever reason, conditions get ideal, it spreads. And then maybe for whatever reason, even that area, it just sort of, you know, sort of peters out. And then conditions are not as ideal. There's not the root grafting. There's not the, the beetle that carries it moving as active as much or whatever. And it slows down. But it's not, it's not like, um, you like know, chestnut blight where it's right, going to wipe, wipe out yeah, it's, everything. It's, it's that, not that type of thing. It's like it just you'll have it, and then you won't have that activity. But it will kill the tree before. So Well, the one yeah, thing for yeah. sure I'm doing is removing the two trees that we believe were, in, well, one we know for sure is infected. Mm-hmm. There's one next to it that looks like it might have died last year that I didn't notice. You know, you don't right. see right, them all right, the time right. in the forest. So going to get those two out and then you have to remove the wood you know how cheap i am i always have them just cut the tree and leave it there great yeah. now i got to get rid of the wood too right. That, right you want to get that off site yeah yeah that's one thing you got to do it right especially when you live in it then after forest. that we'll have to see what we're going to treat and what we're going to trench and what we're going to cut you got some job ahead of you there and davy's going to have a big job ahead yes of you i know yes <laughs> <laughs> It's not going to be easy. <laughs> no, it's not one of our favorite things to do either. In reality, it's part of the business to do the removals. But right. you hate when you go out and you have some nice mature trees yeah. and, you know, things have happened. you got to remove them. That's, that's the – we do it, but it's not necessarily the fun part of the job. Tree preservation is a whole lot more interesting. Um, well, listen, for more information about Davy Tree or to ask what's going on with your trees, you can go to Davy.com slash KDKA. And don't forget, you can always call the experts at Davy Tree at 855-982-TREE. That's 855-982-8733. Going to get back to your phone calls. And if you have a tree question, Miles going to hang around for the rest of the show. Give him a call, 866-391-1020. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners. News Radio 1020 KDKA. All right, let's get back to the phones and let's say hi to Gene calling today from Washington. Hey, Gene, how are you? Welcome to the Organic Gardeners. Good. Good morning. I have a mature red maple tree. It's probably 30 years old and it is starting to lose some of some of its leaves. Is that normal well first off miles it's the same age as you are it's only 30 years old oh wow oh boy i don't know what to say about that one (laughs) what do you think it is well it could be a couple things one you know like i said we've had a lot of rain but there's been some heat so you get some leaf drop Uh, one things i've been seeing with red maple is uh, they get a disease called tar spot and you'll see little round circles on the leaves and that can cause uh some uh foliar drop I've seen a little bit of anthracnose disease also on red maple, and what you'll see at times, they'll drop some leaves from that. You'll see some browning along the veins of the leaves, and that that could be an indication there's some anthracnose going on there, too. But neither one of those are fatal in a single season, right? Like, trees will randomly get a disease one season, and then the next year, they'll be just fine. Right, especially at the tar spot. That tends to be more of an aesthetic-type thing than anything else. It's not going to kill the tree. And a 30-year-old maple is a tough tree. 
Right, tough tree. And even with the anthracnosis, especially in red maples, unless it's really severe, it could be a reaction. To this The weather has been crazy this year, you know, not much of a winter. A lot of rain early on in the spring, great for some disease, you know, to form. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it may not be anything that's very fatal to the tree. You know, occasionally we do see verticillium wilt. Um, but, you know, you have to inspect a tree to see that. You know, probably should have somebody could take a look at that. Some of the leaves are red that are falling off. Yeah, well, then, you know, uh, once again, that, that may not be anything in particular. Uh, the other thing I'd be thinking about and would be that sometimes, you know, red maples do get, like, girdling root also. Yep. And so be worthwhile. You know, if you dig around the base of the tree, you, know, you think the root should always radiate out. And occasionally dig around the base of the tree, you'll see the roots are, like, wrapping around the, the trunk of the tree. You know, with these tree issues, though, really, the best way to identify what the problem is, it's we can guess, but right. does to have somebody like you, like a, a certified arborist, come look at it? Right, exactly. I mean, we may be looking at something that's absolutely no concern at all, you know, and, and, okay. and you know, but on the other hand, there may be some issues like the girdling root, then, or some things you may want to have somebody come out and take a look at it and, you know, put your mind at ease. So here's the Davy number again. You can call them, they'll come out and take a look at it. It's 855 982 tree. All right, let's uh, go to uh, Slippery Rock and say good morning to Marion. Hey, Marion, welcome to KDKA. Hi, thank you. Um, I, I'm i a little off topic here, but I had a question about the wren boxes and the, and the wasps mm-hmm. that help with the cabbage. Uh-huh. Moss. I was wondering exactly where you place your boxes and how big the uh, hole size is in the box. Sure. So what she's referring to is how I control the cabbage worms in my garden, which, uh, you know, are those little green worms that get on the broccoli and the cabbage and kale and every member of that broccoli family. And I do that by hanging up a few wren houses uh, in my vegetable garden. And I do two. My garden is about 30 by Eh, 35, 40, something like that. Uh, and I have two wren boxes, and both boxes are filled with little wrens. And the So are they actual boxes, or are they like the hanging feeder, they're hanging, hanging box? They're or? hanging uh, boxes, and um, I have them about, oh, probably about 8 feet, 8, 10 feet up off of the ground. And I'm trying to think of the right hole size for a wren. I'm I looking that up, so keep three, talking. I think it's three quarters of an inch, but... Uh, the Audubon Society uh, makes one specific for wrens. I have ones that one that I made myself uh, out of a cedar plank. That is a wren, and off the top of my head, I don't know the exact size. Doug's looking it up right now for a wren, but I want to say it's three quarters of an inch, but I could be wrong. Mine are the uh, are the hanging uh, one and one eighth inches. It says here one and one eighth. Floor okay. size wrens for the wrens house has an entry hole dimension of one, one and, and one, one eighth inches. But I have like the hanging kind of like a gourd style. Okay. And every year I get wrens. Yep. You know, a couple times oh. a year, don't they? Yeah, uh, they have multiple broods for a year per year, and they're one of the best birds for encouraging pest eating in the vegetable garden. Oh, there's nothing like sitting underneath that little house yep. and after Listening. the babies are in there and hear them sing for their supper. Right. You know, and seeing both parents actually come back yep. and seeing everything that they have in their mouths. It's just amazing. What You have a fact about not wrens, but chickadees. Yep. Do you remember how many? Yeah, they, uh, Doug Tallamy, who's a professor of, professor of entomology at University of Delaware, and he, he wrote a great book called Bringing Nature Home. And uh, they did some studies on how many caterpillars a chickadee family needs to raise a single brood of baby chickadees. And it was six 
thousand caterpillars. Mm. So these birds do an incredible job of gleaning everything from gypsy moth and eastern tent caterpillars and all types of little uh, caterpillars off of plants to feed them to their young. So encouraging them to take up residence in the garden is obviously a very good thing. What, what kind of a wren are they? You... These are the ones that I have in my house. When I was growing up, we used to call them Jenny wrens, but around here people call them house wrens. I uh, think also you can Carolina also yeah, get a wrens. Carolina wren, right? Yep, Carolina wrens. Okay. Um, but they're just they're just little birds. They have an upturned tail, and they're okay. a little brown, and they beautiful, hop around. Beautiful song. Yep. Oh, great. And the wasps, do you know what kind of wasps they are and what kind of habitat they would like? Yep. So the wasps that also eat, I should post that video I took on Facebook, too. The wasps, also those brown paper wasps that people also call them hornets. They build the big papery nests up in the trees. Oh, okay. They are the ones that also, every day, they're flying around my cabbage plants and my Brussels sprouts and broccoli, and they to eat those cabbage worms. They cut them into pieces. You can watch them do it if you stand in the garden long enough and fly the pieces, piece by piece, back to the nest to put it in the brood chamber to raise their young. Now, obviously, don't go near the nest of yeah. <laughs> the adult ones. But if overall, you really want to get a good look, no, don't get on get a, a ladder, uh, <laughs> get your magnifying glass don't out. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. Sometimes just cutting open the nest. No. Uh, <laughs> oh, don't even. That You're just a liability waiting to happen there. But yeah, just leave them be. Give them plenty of room, but just don't disturb them when they're doing their stuff in the garden because they okay. really are beneficial. Do any other kind of wasps do it? Just the, just the big paper. But also, the what we call here in Pittsburgh, we call ground bees, which are yellow jackets, which are a, oh, okay. a different type of paper wasp that builds their nest in the ground. So they have a papery yeah. nest, but it's inside of an old burrow, you know, insect or uh, okay. animal burrow in the ground. They also feed their young lots of different insects. So they're, again, very, very good for the garden. Just obviously stay away from the entry hole and don't run the lawnmower. You know, we were talking last week about bald-faced hornets. Uh, mm-hmm. Steve Rapaski was on. Okay. And uh, the thing that always amazes me, you know, when I'm fishing in a kayak and everything, you don't see, never see the nest right. until the leaves fall. Right. And then you're like, wow, I was going by that every day. And as long as you don't bother them, as right. long as, you know... Uh, you always rather see the nest up higher than lower, but right. as long as you don't bother them, they won't bother you. They do become a slightly aggressive in the autumn, though, and that's because they're trying to protect the queen. The fertilized queens are the only ones that survive the winter. That nest is used once and then completely abandoned. So if you have one of those nests way up high in a tree, leave it intact. Don't try to remove it if it's, you know, not bothering you. They will all die in the winter except for the fertilized queen, but then they will not, she will not build a new colony. They're territorial. So leaving that old nest up will prevent somebody else the next year from moving in um, in that specific area to build a, a new one. So you have to be, you know, be smart about it. Stay away from them. Yes, but Steve has you know. some scary stories about bald-faced hornets. But this, and what, about that's hornets what he does for general. a living, yeah. Some wasps can... Spit their venom and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. Yeah, like he was going for the drum. Oh yeah, and multiple bites. <laughs> What's scarier, bald-faced hornets or yellow jackets? I say bald-faced hornets. I say yellow jackets because you don't know the nest is there sometimes in the ground until you walk right on top of it. <laughs> we had a kid in the neighborhood named Rocco who was pretty scary, folks. All right, eight six six three nine. Did they call him the Hornet? <laughs> yes, they did. and he could sting. Eight six six three nine one ten twenty dollar bank instant access kdk.com. Doug and Jessica teach you how to keep it green. The Organic Gardeners. This Radio 1020 KDKA.
Well, we would like to thank Miles Stevens from the Davy Tree Company for joining us today. Lots of incredibly wonderful information about tree care, uh, as is always an important topic, especially this time of year. I'll be out on the road this week. Thursday, I'll be at the Laurel Highland Senior Lifestyle Show from 11 to 3. I'll be speaking at 12 noon and then answering garden questions. That's at the Donegal Community Center on Thursday. And then Saturday, I'll be up in Butler at Osterling's Lawn and Garden, talking about summer garden maintenance. would love to see you. Come on out uh, on Thursday. Actually, I've got some free seeds to give away, so we'll have some fun there. And This rain has been something. There's been no uh, – I haven't had to water my containers only once this year, which is a, a first. Uh, the plants are going crazy, along with the weeds. Uh, lots of fungal diseases, as we <clears> – <throat> As we heard, talking tomatoes, the early part of the the show. But uh, I would take this over a drought any day. Oh, my goodness, (laughs) yes. And every gardening season has its challenges, whether they're drought or water-related or insect-related. You just got to roll with the punches. Or diseases. You just got to roll with the punches and do your best to get yourself through the troublesome times. But I think overall, at least for me, so far, it's been a pretty good gardening season. I'm still waiting to pick my first Ripe tomato. I don't even have a cherry tomato yet. I've been picking a couple different That's ones. I think the one cheat. no, a chocolate cherry. Actually, I didn't cheat. That was a normal one. Uh, my cheaters, I don't know. Cheaters haven't put on tomatoes. They they actually buy a lot of those uh, cheaters, and they've succumbed to fungal diseases. They're really mm-hmm. slowed down. Yeah, because they were in so early. Right, right. What are you gonna do? Remember, the organic gardeners always aim to create a better place to garden. And a safer place to live. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.